There we go. Um, so welcome everybody to this latest episode of Startup Schools. Really, really delighted to be joined today by Luke Sparks and Nick Weller from Dixon's Academies. Um, as I'm sure everybody um, on this call knows, Dixon's is one of, if not the kind of leading academies trust in terms of supporting disadvantaged students um, and progress scores kind of uh, out of out of this world, I think, um, for a lot of the students or most of the students they work with. Um, so really, really interested and kind of excited to hear about how Dixon's got to the, the point it is today. Um, we're going to focus most of the story around the, the founding of, of, of Dixon's Trinity, um, which I believe was the, the, the sort of second school and kind of really, uh, as my understanding, um, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, Luke Nick, um, has it right, kind of what was, was, was one of the first sort of schools um, to kind of be uh, become outstanding and kind of really push push Dixon's into the into a bit more of the, the sort of national limelight. Um, but we we'll be really really interested to hear as well about the the growth of the trust as well as the story of starting Dixon's Trinity. Um, so thank you very much both of you for for joining us. Before we get into talking about the school, we usually start these things by asking our guests to say a little bit about your own backgrounds. Um, so can I ask you, maybe Nick first and, and then Luke, to introduce yourselves and, and especially why, why did you get into education? What, what drove your interest in, in education, particularly around supporting more disadvantaged young people? Um, well, I had, a, I had a twin sister. Uh, she was uh, born, born deaf. She's not, not profoundly, but if you, she's got um, her back to you, she can't, she wouldn't, she wouldn't hear what you were saying. So I passed the 11 plus and I had a, a very lucky day that day. So I ended up at a, not just at the grammar school, but it's some sort of um, minor public school that took what were called direct grant students then where your local authority paid you. Uh, page of fees if you did well enough in the in the 11 plus and she ended up at a school that was called a comprehensive but uh, was uh, in fact really a secondary modern so she had an absolutely appalling education and she wasn't an unintelligent person um, although you know obviously her development was slightly different from from other people's but you know she was she was clever and I ended up with a a really good one so I suppose I was you know I was interested in 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 education and trying to improve particularly state state education um I don't know interest in disadvantage uh I grew up in the 60s a long time ago it's a very political time to be successful as a playwright or as an actor you had to have a working class background if you were Alan Bates or Michael Caine or I don't know any any actor you can think of that generation uh, you just have to have a working class background if you didn't have one you had to pretend to have one particularly if you were a Labour MP at that time um, so it was just a very kind of political time time a lot of maybe inverted snobbery too I suppose I don't I don't know um, and also if you end up at a school uh, uh, as I've described, then you probably, you know, used to look down slightly on the on the fee-paying kids because they got there because their their parents could afford it, whereas you got there through your own, you know, your own efforts and all all of that sort of thing. So meritocracy and and all of that. So that probably distorted my my view my view of the world. But that's why I got into education. Forty years later, state education is still not sorted out. So. As I'm near the end of my career, you know, I haven't quite haven't quite managed what I set out to do. We'll get there together. Um, <laughs> thank you very much, Nick. Luke, wh what about you? I um, I stumbled into teaching, really, to be honest. It, it, it was a it was a profession that um, I was attracted to when I was younger. So it was on the kind of list, if you like, of a possible profession I might go into, but. Um, I went to university, I went traveling, did the usual thing. And, you know, kind of, so I kind of stumbled into, into, into teaching initially. But once I, um, once I did join the profession and I quickly, um, I quickly knew that I wanted to commit to, to working in, in kind of complex urban 
settings. And I've always been, as, as, a, as a proud Northerner, I've always been committed to the North as well. Um, but fairness is, is particularly important to me. Uh, it, it, it's absolutely the core of my uh, personality, as Nick will know. Um, so when, when, whenever I struggle to manage my emotions, and if I'm being honest, I used to really struggle to manage my emotions when I was uh, a bit younger. I'm a bit better now at doing that. Um, it, it's usually, when, when, when I do struggle to manage my emotions, it's usually because I think something's unfair. I've just been like that since a child. I, it's just, just something that's at the, it's just something that's at the core of me. It's just central. Uh, it can't be changed. So I think working to tackle inequality in the education system or to, you know, to make education fairer, I just think that was always going to be a major driver for me just because of kind of that motive of fairness, if you like. So that's why I think I've ended up doing what I've done. Thanks, Luke. What, what, what do you think drove that for you as a child? I'm kind of curious, where does that sense of fairness come from? Was it from your school, from your family? I think it just must be, I think it must just be from my family. I, I, you know, I genuinely just think I was just born that way. Um, you know, my, my parents were from quite humble beginnings. I think they had, you know, my, my, my father was quite fortunate that he um, he won a, he won a scholarship to to a private school in Liverpool. That certainly transformed his life and broke broke perhaps you know some cycles there. But I know his mum particularly was um, a predetermined woman. I went through an awful lot of adversity. Um, so I don't know. I think it's just something in the DNA of being a Sparks. Maybe I don't know. And that's, yeah, we're interested to see whether the Sparks DNA has, uh, has made it into the Dixon's DNA. Um, be, good to, uh, be good to explore that. Um, Nick, if, if I'm right, and please tell me if, I, if I've kind of picked up bits of the story wrong, that there was, there was a Dixon school that existed before Dixon's Trinity. Is that, is, is that right? And then the... Well, there, was a, there was a, yes, there was a CTC which were, they were the sort of first model of the academies, but it was more of a Thatcherite type type model. They were meant to be beacons of excellence and they were going to transform inner city education, but they were rather sort of separate um, and they weren't too controlled. They weren't too well regulated as it wouldn't, rather a bit like, um, a bit like Tory banking. They weren't probably given as much regulation as they should have been through the admissions code and things like that. So it didn't really, draw from its local population it drew much more widely than that and from more advantaged areas uh, and that converted to an academy and then did start to draw more from its its local area um, and then um, we were asked to sponsor a school um, at the second academy which was Ollerton a school called Roadsway uh, it had the distinction of being the longest in special measures in the in the country uh, at the time and it was going to be given to one of the larger, very growing mats at that, at that time. But back, back in those days, 2009, 2010, there were a few, a few mats that were growing very, very quickly. And there was this idea that you didn't want lots of little mats emerging. They, they, were, they were really fostering the growth of, of these few, some of which later imploded. Others of them, like Harrison Outwood, went, went on to great, great success. Um, so, uh, but nevertheless, their, their uh, proposed sponsorship fell through. We were seen as a, a safe pair of hands locally. So we, we were given that project. So there were two schools, but not a lot of other opportunities for growth, which was part of the reason for looking towards the, the free school mechanism. And Nick, what- And so actually, as I've dealt with that, I'll, I'll say this now too, sorry. I think also at that time we had a, a, probably had a need to innovate we had a school that had a rather rarefied intake um, going out of the top, although it was taking in a new, much more local um, intake with higher levels of disadvantage at the bottom. Um, but nevertheless, it didn't have a great deal to say to this school that was, um, you know, um, uh, dragging itself out of, out of special measures. So I think we had a real need to innovate at that time as, as well. And what what were you thinking about at, at that time in terms of did, did you feel supported to kind of take on a new school? Were you feeling kind of 
this was a, a, a big step. It sounds like it was, it was fairly unusual at the time. What, what was going through your mind as you, as you decided you would, you would go for it? It wasn't, that, it wasn't that unusual. It was the second wave. It wasn't the first wave. So it was the second year. And we were familiar with the, uh, there were two people who, who, who started schools in, in, in Bradford, one secondary, one, one primary. The secondary later um, was not, not particularly successful. And we, we took that in um, later. Uh, Kings, um, so um, so we were familiar with the movement. Um, I think we we'd visited. I think we both visited on separate occasions the charter schools in the states by then, which was probably the nearest sort of parallel. I think we were both really inspired um, inspired by that. Um, and as far as being supported, when you were in there early. Uh, remember, this was this was a this was the pet project of of the minister at the time, Michael Michael Go. So anything you asked, uh, the 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 civil service answer that was, I'll I'll try and sort that out for you. I'll try and sort that out for you. Whereas now it's it's much more more cautious. Um, you know, the answers I'll get back to you, or I'll ask higher up. And when they ask higher up, the answers often comes back often comes back no. Um, there were. I think there were, there were problems with that too. I think we might talk about this later, but you certainly, anything was anything was possible. It all had to had to happen very, very quickly, possibly happened too quickly in, in some ways. I think that was quite quite stressful in terms of building and site and, and that sort of thing. But nevertheless, you know, we've just had one approved in uh, in the Manchester area and they're talking, they've got an existing site with an existing it's got an existing building. A lot of that needs demolishing, but some of that existing building just needs refurbing. And, you know, their first approach is 2020, 2024. So we're trying to get them to drag that back to 2023 because that would seem perfectly reasonable. If we, if we were doing this 10 years ago, they'd be trying to get us to open it in 2022 and, and pulling out all the stops to, to do so. So I think back in those days, you were very, very well, very well supported. And of course, money was being... Not exactly thrown at the program, but I think it was financially um, easier uh, to open as well. That's fascinating. The funding was at a higher, higher rate. Yeah. Not necessarily interestingly, the um, the startup funding though the, the funding once you started was good. In the year before opening, people were using their own private you know, credit cards and things like that. If they weren't part of a map like like ours was, where you could you could use your 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 funds to, to do that. Other people were putting things on their credit cards, and that got them into all sorts of difficulty later in later on when their personal finances started to get confused with the school's finances. But that's another story. Yeah, and it's actually been a bit of a theme of some of this discussion that we've had with founders about that that balance of the in a way the benefits of the urgency of some of the earlier waves of, of free schools and that sort of sense of possibility that came with that and speed mm-hmm. balanced with the, the opportunity for some really quite unacceptable behavior in terms of, of finance and so on. Yeah. Um, Luke how did you come onto the scene then so what, at what stage exactly did you and Nick meet and, and start working together on, 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 on Trinity? Well, I was I was already working at Dixon's. Um, I think Nick, I was I think I was what Nick's first. Is that right, Nick? I was one of your first appointments when you were head of Dixon's City. It was one of the first questions I asked was, "We've got a head of humanities. Do we really need a head of geography as well?" I said, "Yes, subject specialism is very important. You do need a head of geography." And um, and they and there's a couple of people went away and they pointed Luke. So that was very, very, um, very fortuitous. Yeah, so I think I started at Dixon City not long after Nick started there as head. Uh, I left Dixon City to join the Future Leaders Programme in 2008. It's the first cohort outside of uh, London. So um, you know, they, they, the programme's evolved over time, but it was a very, very cutting-edge mm-hmm. programme at that time. You had to quit your job. You had to give up your job to go on a residency in other schools. So I left to do a residency at a wonderful school in, in Tameside, Manchester, called Mossad Hollands High School, working with uh, Drew Duncan there, the head teacher, who's been a big inspiration on my career. So I was there for a year, and that's when we went out to the States and saw, you know, we were really, well, blown away, really, with what we saw at that time um, in, the, in the States, going to see kind of some KIPP schools, uncommon schools, achievement first. Um, 
and then was fortunate um, at the end of my residency to come back to Dixon. So as I was in Dixon's Ollerton, that school that Nick mentioned, that first sponsored academy that we took on, and I'd been there for a few years, but was on this fast track programme where I was, you know, expected to be ahead within four years. I was kind of getting to that fourth year, and I wasn't necessarily, even though I was on that programme, I wasn't necessarily in a hurry to be ahead. I, I thought maybe I could take another senior position somewhere else, perhaps, or see how things developed. But um, but knew that Nick was looking at a potential primary free school, um, again, drawing inspiration from the States, so amused with a music specialism, because, again, that's what we'd seen kind of kit. Um, and we just talked about, you know, what was the possibility of perhaps looking at a secondary as well. And it kind of just went from there, really. We actually put together the secondary application pretty quick, didn't we, Nick? And we put, I mean, you know, it might sound a bit, which we actually put together in a matter of days, believe it or not. Yeah. The, the the second year and again that's the strength of it when you've already got existing schools and you've got and it's, it's quite it is easier to put together an application I know that other other applicants probably have spent months and months on it so for us to say spent a few days it might sound a bit odd but yeah we, we I think we, we got it around, around pretty quickly um, and and you know that, that I just that was just me being involved with the bid there was no kind of guarantee of being ahead at that point um, and then you know from there we we didn't know whether we'd be successful but we were we ended up getting both schools then they ended up being on the same site. So that, that was quite uh, surprising as well. So we ended up running two separate schools, two new free schools, but literally next door. So there's, two, there's still two separate schools. Um, but then I had the opportunity to apply for the headship and, 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 and got it. And then I've gone and that, you know, that, and then it's, it's moved on from there, really. It was, you know, the founding principle in 2012. So that's how it all kind of came about. So, yeah, obviously, I was very fortunate to be at Dixon's at that time. I'm very fortunate that Nick. Um, backed me really to 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 um, open the first secondary free school that we'd opened. What what attracted you, Luke? Like to to did you want to start a school, or you just wanted to do something kind of within Dixon's? It was a good move. Was there something particular about starting a new school that you saw gave an opportunity or kind of allowed allowed to do something different? What, yeah, what, what drove your you deciding to, to go for that role? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'd, I'd not really thought of, you know, that that would be an opportunity. Obviously, what, being on the Future Leaders Programme and, and getting to go out to the state and things like that, you know, perhaps with, at that point, the free school movement didn't exist, you know. But, I, I, you know, on that programme, I know, you know, other participants we had talked about, you know, wouldn't it be great if you could open... Because, you know, because the free school movement is very similar to the charter school movement, isn't it, in the States? So, you know, we've gone to visit these charter schools. Oh, wouldn't it be great if you could do that? So it was always kind of the back of your mind. But I don't suppose you ever thought you'd really ever get that opportunity. So when I knew Nick was looking at potentially applying for a free school and we got talking, then absolutely um, I could see that starting a school from scratch with the support of a trust like Dixon's, even though, we, you know, we were still at that point when he had two schools, it, it was just an incredible opportunity, really. And an incredible, an incredible opportunity to reimagine what, you know, what, you know, what, what makes a truly, truly outstanding school, not an Ofsted outstanding school, but a truly outstanding school. And, and an opportunity to challenge the status quo, as Nick said, we want, you know, we wanted the school to be a pathfinder for innovation at that time. And I think it was. Uh, and, and to challenge educational disadvantage, which is, you know, our mission at Dixon's. So I think the fact I've been to the States and I've been inspired by, you know, really blown away by what we saw there. And, and the fact that charter schools are similar to free schools, I think it was just, a, for me, it was just, you know, just an incredible opportunity. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I'd, I'd been to the States in 2008 and we didn't open until Trinity in 2012. So it was four years there. And over that four years, I learned a huge lot about leadership, working in a, a very challenging school, learned a lot about myself. But I'd, all, I'd never forgotten what I'd seen in the States. And, I, and I'd really, over those four years, started to shape the vision uh, for a school that I would one day hopefully lead. As I had, so I kind of had, you know, ideas, um, and this was the perfect opportunity to try and realise that vision. Really, thank you. That's 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 really interesting, and I, I think it, it, it's it's curious to me how a number of people we've had on this on this discussion have been really influenced by some of those those charter schools in the in the US. So I'm going to open up for for some questions from from others in just a minute, but to kind of get to get into that discussion. What what was it then that you wanted in your model? So you'd, you'd both seen these these charter schools, been really inspired by that. 
what what were the things that you felt needed to be in the model that, that you could put in when you started a new school? Um, and, and, and I suppose how close to that model is our Dixon schools now? So if you look back or if you kind of reflect on these were the ingredients, do you think you're still kind of working and cooking with the same ingredients broadly? Do you want me to start? Yeah, 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 start that. Um, I think in terms of Dixon's Trinity at that time, I mean, my, my interview was actually, um, my interview presentation title was Dixon's Free School. I can't remember what, I think it was Dixon's Free School. Um, um, innovation or replication. And uh, I think I might have said it was like fifth, kind of 50, you know, 50-50, played the kind of safe game with the yeah. And I, and I did genuinely, and, it, and, it, and don't get me wrong, there was elements of replication in what we did. We absolutely wanted to get a culture, you know, Dick Dixon's, it was, you know, it was Dixon City particularly at that point was, you know, still a, you know, a high profile school with a strong reputation and doing some wonderful things. So we absolutely wanted to take um, some key features from there and we did do. Uh, but there was an awful lot, an awful lot of innovation. But really, the in terms of like what, what the vision was, it was just all about culture for us. And, you know, and I know there's some people on the call that know Dixon's, so they won't be surprised by me saying that. And that's what we'd taken from the States. That's what we were blown away with. We'd never really seen anything like that, the way the schools crafted culture over there at that time. And we'd been trained on future leaders by a guy called Jay Altman. Uh, he had worked across ARC, but he was from the States. He, he, you know, he, he more recently was with First Line Schools. I think he's uh, retired from there now. But he was just an unbelievable uh, leader and, and and inspiration on that program. And I remember he took us through a whole week a whole weekend of um, one of the first weekends to do feature leaders was was him basically leading the whole weekend Friday right the way through to Sunday really intense weekend all about how you craft school culture. And all of us in that program just have never ever experienced anything like it. And then going out to the states and seeing it firsthand, it just completely, as I said a few times now, it blew our minds really. So for me, I absolutely my vision was all around trying to craft. Uh, you know, really, really strong culture in the school. So that, so that, that was our strategy, really. Culture and culture continues to be our strategy. So I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't think the, the individual elements of our practice, I do, do not believe, are revolutionary. Um, what others have said, um, as you know, what, what others, what others have said is, it's the way those ideas that we've got or we've taken from other places. It's the way those ideas have been combined and embedded with real rigor. And simplicity that, that, that that's allowed us to be so successful. So you know, we visited the states. We also visited a number of schools in the UK, um, particularly in London. You know, other other academies that other startup schools like like you know King Solomon Academy, um, uh, City Academy, Hackney at the time as well. And we visited you know schools in the independent sector too, and just took all of those ideas really. And so the ideas were revolutionary. It was the way, it was the way in which I think we've done it with absolute rigor. And simplicity and real clarity that's allowed us to be successful. So, so we don't believe in kind of off-the-shelf strategies or practices. We don't think there's any kind of silver bullet. For us, it's really about being mission and values driven first and foremost. Um, uh, you know, I'm happy to talk more about that later. Having a really clear vision, which we had, which was was focused on crafting this, you know, truly aspirational culture, focusing relentlessly on results, operating really really strict routines, um, but also building really strong relationships at all levels. It's absolutely about purpose, not power for us. And then just doing the really simple things very well every day, which is pretty boring, hard work, Sisyphean, it's never ending. It's certainly not intellectually sophisticated. And that's what we did. And I, you know, I just genuinely believe that until we realise that the best organisations do things that are that are, that are actually not that intellectually sophisticated. They're just common sense and they have the persistence and the humility to do it over and over. I think until we embrace that, I think we'll keep searching and, and, and not find what we want. So, you know, I think more recently, there seems to be a bit of a focus on culture again. I mean, I mean, you know, people have talked about culture for years, but I think it's one of the, I think it's one of the easiest things to talk about without actually kind of acting on. Um, and, I think the reason why the disadvantage gap has not closed in our country is because I don't think enough schools focus on getting the culture right before trying to implement all the initiatives that they want to implement. And the reason why some initiatives 
seem to fail or we think we need another initiative because the last one failed, it's actually, there was nothing wrong with the initiative. It's because you haven't got the culture right first. And so we're absolutely convinced by that. Absolutely convinced by that. Um, you know, England are playing tonight. All the talk about England mm-hmm. has been, you know, even last night, Rio Ferdinand said, we, I think we had better players in the past. Don't we have world, better, more world-class players in the past? What's changed? We've all said it. The culture's changed. The attitude's changed. The cl- These are words they've used. Clarity. There's greater integrity now, humility. They're the words the pundits have been using about England. Not that the systems have changed, it's actually, it's that that's changed. The FA did visit Dixon's Trinity, actually, over a representative from the FA did. I'm not saying we actually have any influence over that, but, you know, nevertheless, it's interesting. They're the words that, that, that have been used. So I, I, I absolutely believe culture, and when we've banged on about it for ages, culture really does eat strategy for breakfast. And that, so that's what we had to get right from day one at Dixon's. And I think we did get that right. Now, it has evolved over time. I think we've got better at, at, you know, at crafting culture. I think we've made some refinements, but, I don't, but there hasn't been any major change in how, in how we, you know, we, it's evolution, revolution. Over, there's not been, you know, over, it's been evolution over time. Where I don't think, I don't think you know, that we've, we've deviated a huge amount in terms of culture. And we've opened more free schools since, and they've all, you know, taken the ideas from Trinity and made them even better. You know, we've got some wonderful free schools across all of our schools that have been led by, you know, brilliant, brilliant leaders. But I don't think any of our schools now, or, or, I don't think we, in terms of culture, we've, we've, we've changed, changed much along the way. There's perhaps other things, other, other areas that were, were, were perhaps that's been the case, but, but not in terms of that original vision around culture. And I'm glad that we got that right first. Um, so yeah, Nick, have you got anything to kind of, you no, know, I'd agree with that. I don't, there's been no, it's very much a, a vision that I think in, in some ways the schools are closer now to, to that vision or that vision is, is clearer and, and more well-defined having evolved over time. Uh, that It hasn't sort of evolved in, in that sense or, or developed in that sense. It's almost back to, to what it was at the beginning. So, so interesting. Got stronger. Good to good to everybody. You heard it first on, on startup schools that Dixon's is is responsible for bringing it home. <laughs> That's happening. Well, we had to get a link in there to it. Yeah, certainly <laughs> not take any credit. But I just do think it's interesting that, that that's been the talk, and I do think there is more talk now about culture than there has been before, which is which is which is good. But there's a lot of work to do. I think in that area. Yeah. Uh, absolutely and th- there's a huge amount in what you said and I, I resisting the urge to be really greedy and ask all the questions let me open up um so others what um yeah if you if you'd like to ask something please just just sort of put your, put your hand up Hannah um do you want to come in yeah I would thank you very much it's really interesting I my first question really um but obviously we'll take it in turns this is just my number one um is you're talking about initiatives versus culture and I guess I'd be interested in the specifics of in the early days of setting up a school some things feel very fundamental some things that you're doing in the school can feel to some people like initiatives but they can feel to other people like core parts of the culture so one example might be drop everything and read so perhaps somebody at the school would think okay well that's actually a core part of our culture even though it's a thing it's more than just a thing, it's, it shows something fundamental and somebody else might see that as a gimmick or an initiative. So I guess what I'm curious about is how did you decide which things, which actions in the school were actually a part of your culture and which things were a gimmick? And then how did you prioritize and communicate that to staff so that they knew what the core things were versus things that you were trying out? Well, I th- I'll let Luke come in on that, but I think everything he did at the beginning, I don't think anybody would have thought it was a gimmick. I think one real quality of his leadership is that he absolutely explains the purpose of absolutely everything that he's doing. So people understand why it's happening and the importance of it happening. And therefore that also indicates that it is something that's going to persist. And as, as, as Luke said, it's not about picking up initiatives and choosing choosing another uh, another one. So. You know, drop everything and read, or whatever it is. That it's not just a one-year, one-off. It's going to last and last and last. And people have got to believe and have that conviction in you as a leader that that it, that is going to be so. And I think the way to communicate that is to communicate as uh, and over-communicate and repeatedly um, 
uh, over communicate why why you are doing what you are you are doing i think luke does that particularly well but luke i've, I've come in there yeah i'm pretty good at repeating myself i am um, when i was at because 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 uh, um james gave us a kind of steer as to what might be asked tonight yeah and he asked us like what did you do wrong i um I, I, I was surprised I still had them, but I, when, I was, when I was just, when I was a day-to-day -day head, now obviously now I work across the trust, I used to get the staff to put on a post-it note every year, something I was doing well and something I could do better. And I, I found them in my drawer, some of them, and it was all about just don't repeat yourself as much. But uh, <laughs> that was my next step. <laughs> but actually, I think you've got to be as the head, the chief reminding officer. You've got to just keep repeating yourself. I think if the staff can do a really good impersonation of you, then you're actually doing a really good job in terms of, over communicating clarity and that's what I this is what we mean around culture what Nick said so what you described you know, like drop everything and read we did do that that's an initiative that wasn't you know it might be an artifact of our culture mm. okay but it's not it's not um it, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have been successful unless we got you know certain aspects of the culture right so I mean for us the, the kind of three really key characteristics that that, that that I think the best schools have in terms of in terms of culture and one is they have kind of really really strong and clear norms for how people are expected to act and behave in school that's students staff leaders um, and we definitely got that right into clear social norms which then allows things like drop everything and read to, to, to work a real focus on motivation and for us at Dixon's we focus on intrinsic motivation rather than extrinsic motivation we want students um, to have intrinsic motives for learning when they engage you know, not for external reward, but because they find the activity itself interesting and gratifying. So they come to school to learn for learning's sake. We don't want children in our schools to come to school because they might win a bike in a raffle. Hmm. And then a real focus on aspiration. And what we challenge here is the false assumption that children have low aspirations and that we have to raise their aspirations. And I think a lot of money has been wasted over the years in our country on raising aspirations but actually the challenge is not to raise aspirations because there's evidence to show that you know when children are born the family does have high aspirations for them the challenge is to, to keep aspirations on track and the way you do that is by showing the roadmap for children of how to achieve their high aspirations but also to focus on actually raising attainment you know and we, we answer a number of critical questions across our trust and one of them at Dixon's is what do we do and within that, we talk about maximising attainment. We don't mention progress. And we do focus strongly on attainment. Um, so the challenge there is not about raising aspirations, but raising attainment so the students can actually go on and, and realise their aspirations. And that's what we mean around culture. Strong social norms, focus on intrinsic motivation and keeping aspirations on track. And all of that aligned around a really strong mission and a core set of values. And we have something called the mission map, which helps us map culture when we go into new schools and take them on like we're doing in Liverpool now we can use the mission map to to map the existing culture we can use it to map the culture we'd like to have and then we can plan how we're going to get from one to the other so we have frameworks around how we do this but that's what we're talking around culture those kind of three really important characteristics and then you know it's actually as Nick said it's about Sustaining culture is about willing to do those mundane tasks. It's finding the energy to maintain expectations every single day. You know, so if you're going to do deer you know, and you've defined how you want deer to be, you know, how do you find the energy to make sure that it's done properly every single day, every year? That's what we mean by culture. And it's, it's maintaining those expectations every day. It's caring un unconditionally. And as I said before, it's Sisyphean and it's deeply unglamorous. Uh, and it's actually a lot more than just student behaviour. Um, so I would say DIA, like you said, is an initiative, um, not part of the culture. What we're talking about is so much broader. It's really about leadership. You know, if you're a leader, um, you know, and no one listens to you, then, you know, your very best teachers are not going to be heard. You know, and the, the initiatives that you introduce are not going to, are not going to deliver. So first and foremost, as a leader, you, know, you need to make sure people are listening to you and you need to lead and you do that by leading with clarity and over communicating clarity and reinforcing clarity every single day. Sally, please 
So we're kind of following on from that. I suppose one of the things I've been thinking about is um, as as you have as more schools join your sort of family of schools. Obviously, you you've talked a lot about like shaping a culture. Has has that been a challenge? Where and I think Hannah's questions really sort of helped me think about this as well. So where say you a new school joins you or you're opening a new school. Uh, the leadership of that school potentially might just want to take some of those artifacts that you mentioned and apply them. Um, and obviously your job as leaders of the trust is to make sure that they have the understanding that underpins the culture and, and you know, the over communication and why that's important. But that feels to me like that could be really challenging as a, as a trust gets larger and potentially your personal influence could become more remote. So you're sort of always, you know, you're then working through more layers of people to shape that culture. Um, would you like, would you say that that's, that's a concern that as, as maybe as trust grow, they need to think about and are there ways that you have found you can um, mitigate for that? Do you want me to answer that, Nick? Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, I'm aligned autonomy. Well, yeah. Do you want? I mean, yeah. Do you want? Do you want to talk about that? Or I mean, are you, are you, are you just meaning how do we when we take on a new school? It's maybe a challenging school. Um, how do we get them to understand that way of working? Yeah, because like I've like I've heard you talk about aligned autonomy, and like I I I feel like I understand the 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 theory and. I'm thinking like in real terms do you actually come across real challenges where you might be working with leadership teams where actually the alignment might not be there very quickly and I think, that, I think that. that's true and it's certainly um it's certainly true that where the leadership has turned over very quickly and where we've appointed um that that makes that much 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 easier so that's probably the most important Thing. And it's more of a challenge when you've got um, a leader who's perhaps done a good job, who's gone into, say, a, um, uh, a school in special measures um, and is on the track to getting it to good, for example. So they're doing they're doing a good job and doesn't necessarily want to align with what you want to, to do. And I think probably we weren't assertive enough uh, on that in, in one or two cases in the uh, in the past. I think. Um, you know, we're taking on a couple of schools in Liverpool at the moment. Uh, they're very remote. All the people we've appointed are are local, or they're they're fairly familiar with Trinity. They'll have visited Trinity. Then they you know they understand what we're what we're about. Um, but nevertheless, it's a new it's a new leadership team, and they are driving that 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 culture from from the top. So I'd say leadership is probably the key the key to that, um, and possibly. Possibly we should have been a bit more brutal in the past with people who were doing a good job, but we didn't feel were fully fully aligned because that's how we recruit. That's how we recruit people. So that's maybe what should we should do when we take them on. It's not. I mean, it's not easy, Sally, and that's why leaders often give up because 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 it's because it's it's you know it's quite simple, but it's really hard work. It's very difficult. You know, a lot of leaders pride themselves on their intelligence, and it's not intellectually sophisticated. A lot of leaders are adrenaline junkies. They like things to happen really quickly, and this is not going to happen quickly. It's got to be something you've got to work out for, you know, for, for, for time. And a lot of leaders like to measure things, and it's not something that you can measure, you know, culture or organisational health, whatever. It's very difficult to quantify because it impacts on so many things. So it's not an easy thing. That's why it's very easy to talk about and act on. What it just takes is sheer hard work. So we've been lucky in Bradford and Leeds that we've been able to grow our own leaders. So we've grown, you know, most of our. I mean, Dixon's Trinity itself has provided seven head teachers in eight years. So, you know, when people have learned how to do things, they then go and replicate that in whichever school they then go to work in. So the challenge for us is how do we do that in the Northwest now where we've not been able to grow those leaders? So what we've had to do is an awful lot of, um, provide an awful lot of opportunities for those leaders to come over to our, because it is about leadership. We, we've never had a big centre. We've never had loads of curriculum people or people sat on the bench waiting to go into schools like other trusts. Not, that's, I'm not saying we're right and other trusts are wrong. It's just not what we've done. We've always invested in head teachers. And leadership teams that's be always been our approach and making sure they understand how to craft a culture so we're having to do that now in liverpool it's more difficult because those leaders although they're great leaders haven't worked for dixons before so we just got to invest that time i've had to 
you know, luckily I'm from there originally, my parents still live there, but I've had to be over in Liverpool a lot more than perhaps I would have needed to do if we were taking on a school in Leeds, where the head teacher was coming from the Dixon School. I've had to be there more present. We've had to get them over to Dixon's a lot more. We've obviously started Dixon's Open Source, as some of you will be aware of. That's part part of, of, of the work as well, so we can showcase. That's going to get increasingly granular as Dixon's Open Source, going to really show people what to do. But it's not easy. The, 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 the way it should be done, but it's obviously not, it's not always easy to do and it's very expensive. And if we were going to do this across the sector, is I think, you know, you need to create ideally year-long internships, if not at least a, a good term. And I know Reach are doing this to some extent, where you are kind of doing this with, with your model, it, it create internships, you know, in those outliers, the schools that are getting it right. And, and, and just accept that learning to lead an effective culture actually takes time and demands a lot of detail. So give people that time to, to learn how it's done in a school, not just going for a visit, really experience it for, it, for, for a year. And then you see that incubated talent back into the schools that need it most. And then you sustain the relationship through instructional coaching and, and, you, you know, and then you repeat that. So we've got, we, that's what we should be doing across the sector, in my view. What, we, what, we, what we're doing within Dixon's is trying to do something similar, trying to incubate leaders. So we already know our next two head teachers of our schools in the Northwest. So we've already, they've already been appointed. So what I've got to do now is I've just got to make sure the two first schools in Liverpool I have to invest a lot of my time in those schools to make them as good as the schools in Bradford and Leeds. And then those schools can then incubate the next leaders for that, for that region. Um, and then, you know, and it go from there, but we already know our, our next two head teachers, they're already now working those schools are spending a lot of time in Bradford and Leeds. So we're starting, we're starting that process of incubation. So this, yeah, this is not, this is not put someone on a training program for a day. You know, and, that, and that's the problem, you know, give them the training is doomed in my view. It's that's what I'm talking about, level of rigor. And the only way you're going to show someone how to lead a coach like that is for them to, to experience it for a sustained period of time. So, Luke, can I, can I follow up on that then? Because I, I, I think this is, this is fascinating. And something we, we talk about quite a lot at, at Reach, but also with other, others on this, on this sort of discussion network, is are the, are the, the schools that are really the most successful and you can kind of choose your own measure for, for, for whatever that means. Is it just because their staff work really hard? Is it really, is it the level of discretionary effort that is what makes the biggest difference? And we should sort of admit that a bit more because you're, you're talking a lot, you know, hard work. And I don't doubt that, you know, people in your trust work really hard. It, can you, can you say a bit more about the, the nature of that hard work? Is it kind of the hours or is it the, the focused hard work? I think, you know, look, I think, I think, you know, teachers work, a lot of teachers work really hard and, you know, leaders across the profession. Our, our staff at Dixon's work, I think it's about working hard on the right things. I think sometimes teachers work hard on things that aren't going to have as much impact as they should. So it's about, you know, we talk about Dixon's, there's lots of things we could do that we don't do lots of really good things that we could do that we don't do because we're going to focus on the few things that are going to have the biggest impact in our schools for our context. And that takes real discipline. That, it's that, that comes out to that simplicity, you know, really keeping things simple. And that takes, that takes such discipline to do that. I mean, every year we would always say, what can we stop doing now? That's not having the impacts that we'd want. In fact, it got to a point where we were taking things away that we needed to put back in because we'd forgot, we'd not realised just how important they were. But really having discipline to keep, to, 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 to not have initiative overload and to keep things incredibly simple and to, to focus the hard work and the things that are going to make a difference. So I know our staff work incredibly hard and some probably work too hard. Um, but what we talk about with our staff is that really try to focus on working hard in the building. That's what we want you to work. We don't want you to be then taking loads of work home. And, you know, we want you to go home and spend time with your family and friends and recharge and come into school and enthused, enthused, enthused again and happy. But when you're in the building, it is hard work, absolutely, because what we're working hard on is sustaining that culture, which is about those boring things of being on your door at the right time, doing, you know, following the routine, you know, all of those things. That is that is hard work and boring, but that's what we've got to do. So what we want is our staff to work really hard in the building on those things that are going to make the biggest difference, but perhaps not spend time trying to free them from bureaucracy and not spend time on things that are not really going to make any difference. So our staff work, work hard, really hard, but hopefully they're working hard on the things that are going to make a difference. Um, and hopefully they're happy at work. And so don't mind that level of hard, that level of hard work, but we don't want our staff to work too hard. 
And that's the challenge, which as leaders, we've got to keep keep um, an eye on. Nick, I think. Mm, no, absolutely, absolutely. I, I think, and that's also what motivates people to work to work hard. People are going to be working on things that do actually make a difference. You've got to feel you're making a difference to to sustain that, say, sustain that motivation. And we're all but, human, you know. Yeah, we are a lot, that, a lot of that pressure comes from peer pressure too. It's not just sort of top down. Yeah. Uh, in terms of pressure to work, it comes from your your colleagues and the people that you're you're working with that's another thing i think we have to manage because that can go a little bit over the top times yeah and i think if i'm being honest i think a shift we made at dixon's trinity a couple of years in which was probably important and it was only words but i think it was important that we talked a lot from this from what we did being inspired by the states about doing whatever it takes doing whatever it takes longer it takes and i think the shift we made in that was as a team we do whatever it takes for as long as it takes so we're perhaps before it was more like we each individually do whatever it takes and I think there was that realization that we can't all do whatever it takes every single day you know we've got we have got to you know to, to you know you know I was spending no time with my own kids at home I was spending you know I'd, I would never see my kids for, for, for Monday to Friday you know what I mean that, that's not the case now you know so I think there was a, there was a we're, if I'm being honest probably those first couple of years it was and it's something starting a school's like that isn't it you know you've got to do everything so we probably, I, I certainly was probably working too hard. But I think the shift we made was it's, it's got to be now as a team. So we do whatever it takes as a team. And I think that's important. And that, that, that thing, Dan, I'll come to you in just a second, if that's, if that's all right. That, that realisation you had after a couple of years, I'm, I'm interested in that because, again, talking to a number of, of others who, who started schools, a bit of a pattern seems to be that around previously it's been year four or five seems to have been a really sort of tricky one um, for, for people as the school kind of grew took on more pupils maybe a number of the key early staff were sort of moving on or the energy levels were starting to drop of of that kind of the, the founding team you're gonna you know that thing how long can you sustain that sort of the, the, the level of energy to get something started um did you did you have a bad year with Dixon Trinity? Can you sort of look back and think, actually, yeah, there was a really tough year, and and if so, what 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 did you attribute it to? I, d- I don't think I look back and think there was a really tough year. I, the third year always sticks out for me for some reason. I don't really know why, but that I think you know that there was there was probably a bit of a, a tipping point there. Uh, but I don't I don't I don't have a look back at a tough year. I think some of our, I think our staff. I think, you know, I don't know for sure, but I, I, I feel that our staff found, you know, once we got the first set of results, and we were very nervous, that, five, that fifth year was, you know, very, very nervous about those results, you know. For, for the school, because the school was the first secondary free school to be asked, so we'd not really, we'd not really wanted a lot of attention, but we got lots of attention. So kind of we're very, very nervous about those first set of results. And when they were strong, obviously we're delighted, but not every subject was strong. And um, and some 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 subjects struggled with that if their results weren't as strong as others, and it certainly it kind of became real then I think for middle leaders who'd had this almost honeymoon period of no no exam results and being able to you know develop curricula over over a long period of time and and and, and so on and perhaps and some of them you know were perhaps quite inexperienced in that role and suddenly when they got the results and they realised the results you know were going to be compared not not with any you know, not trying to be harsh on people, but naturally, you know, people that's going to, and suddenly, like, oh, well, we've got to improve. I think you probably felt a bit more accountability. So I think some struggled around that time. But I don't, I don't look back and think it was a particularly tough year. I think, you know, we had a, a number of staff that were incredibly driven, and I think we were perhaps just a bit too driven at, at, at times. And I think we just needed to, to you know, to realize, you know, that we've got to run a, a really healthy organization. That's really interesting. Thanks, Luke. Dan, did you want to come in with a question? Yeah, you, you mentioned the context of your schools um, previously, and I wondered how, as you move into new areas, that context is going to change and kind of how you envisage that may impact on the culture that you, you want to build, because you, you know you might be in very different areas with very different challenges. Do you, do you think that will change culture or will it change, I don't know, logistics and operation? Or, or I don't know, really, how, how do you see that, that going? 
No, I wouldn't agree with that at all. We've, um, you know, we moved from Bradford's got a very particular community, particularly in the inner in city that we uh, we we serve. Um, we took on a school in in Armley, which is a white working class area of Leeds, for example. Uh, we've moved into Chapel Town, which is another um, area of Leeds, much more Afro Caribbean um, in in nature. Um, and now we're we're in Liverpool, and I think if anything. There's a stronger and stronger realization that that what worked at, at Trinity and has worked at other 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 free schools since is working across a range of a range of communities. And if you go back to the charter schools, you know if it works in Newark, New Jersey, and it works in Bradford and it works in in London, you know why why would you think that it why would you think that it wouldn't work when you move to Liverpool? That'd be my short answer. To that, but I'm sure Luke will add stuff. No, 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 I, I, I absolutely agree. And when we go in and, and, and talk about what we want to try and do, it just makes, makes sense. To, that's what people tell us. They say, it just this makes real sense. It's just so simple. You know, why weren't we doing this before? You know, what, why have you made such a difference? And such a, so, it's, it's, so, so what we're talking about is who's going to disagree with? We want to build really cohesive teams. We want to create real clarity. We're going to over-communicate that clarity. You're all going to know exactly what your, your role is and you're going to be supported to do it. So, you know, and then in terms of, you know, our behavior system is so simple, that's not, you know, doesn't, you know, that's, you know, that, that you know, people would work in any school. So no, I, I, I don't think it, for us, the work we do on culture is not going to matter, whichever city, we're now convinced more than ever that it will work um, with whichever school we take. The only thing that we, the, the, the challenge for us is, is recruiting, being able to recruit. Our model we believe will work. The challenge for us is making sure we can recruit and support new recruits to, to deliver on, on that model. That, that's the challenge for us, not the model itself. And you need to understand your community. I'm not, I'm not saying, saying that. You need to understand what their particular concerns are. You might, you need to be careful about vocabulary sometimes in, in terms of one, one set of words that might be go down well in one community might resonate in a very different way, in a, in, in a different way. What constitutes professional Hairstyling, for example, might might differ from community to, to community. So you do need to understand your community, but you, that doesn't mean you have to change the model. Luke, can you say a bit more about recruitment being the the challenge or the, the potentially limiting factor? Because I think my understanding from everything you'd said until that point was a lot of what you are talking about is simple and that you can sort of support people to be able to to work in that way what 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 is it therefore that's that's the challenge with with recruitment is it that you can't that you can't get people there fast enough for what you you want or yeah what what's the challenge yeah. i'm not saying it's a, it's not a, it's not a chance that we can't overcome but i'm saying that's the only thing that's gonna that that would be the bigger problem you know rather than trying to adapt our model stuff like that it's more around just making sure we can we, we can recruit and a lot of schools struggle to recruit don't they People, some cities are harder than others. We found Leeds to be much easier than Bradford, for example. I mean, Dixon's Trinity has not had until has not had a head of maths. We've had people acting up and things, but we've not had a head of maths for I think it was about four years. You know, it's still getting um, progress eight scores of plus you know plus one point five, but you know it it's not a head of maths. So. It, We'd rather have still had a head of maths. That's mean, if I'd had a maths, we'd have been plus two. So, you know, and it's not about progress eight scores, but you know what I mean? It's I'm trying to get, you know, benchmarks. So, so we, you know, but so sometimes you just can't recruit people. So I think for us, you know, we've got to make sure, you know, we, we you know, one of our strategic anchors is around putting talent first, putting our people first. And so, yeah, I just feel on balance that, the only thing that would stop us is if we weren't able to appoint people who were absolutely aligned to our mission and values and committee. You know, we, we, that's what we recruit on. We recruit on alignment to the mission and values rather than ability. We, we do believe that, that, that teaching is teachable, but it's very hard to change an adult's attitude. So providing we can recruit people who, who are aligned and have got a predisposition, we want, you know, we want cultural fit and cultural ad, but as long as people have got a predisposition for our values, and are aligned to our mission, believe in challenging educational social disadvantage in the North, then we will work as long as it takes to help them become a better teacher. And that's what we do. 
but um, sometimes you don't even get any applicants for jobs. So if you don't get any applicants, you can't, you know, you can't. So that's, so that's what I mean. It's not, it's not that we're, we don't, we feel we can't develop somebody. It's just actually getting the right people applying in the first place. We've got that predisposition for our values and commitment to our, to our mission. Yeah, that's really clear. Thank you. And it does make me slightly nervous, which is if Dixons can't recruit the people you need, then I'm sure a lot of other schools are really, really struggling. Um, slightly concerning for, for the sector overall. Um, I I'd like to move on a little to, to, to a couple of the more sort of practical elements of of, of starting a school, although everything you've said is actually deeply practical. I think what I mean is the, the sort of behind the scenes stuff. And as you, you look back at sort of getting, getting Trinity open, what are some of the things that kind of you either found really important or helpful on reflection? Um, and I'm talking here about things like governance or IT or Kind of getting the the building right in some way, or, uh, or 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 on the flip side, what what do you really wish you'd kind of focused more on or invested more on when you were getting the school going? Well, I think we probably could have invested more ahead of ahead of growth in most of those in most of those areas. Um, so I think that did that did cause that did cause issues. Um, I think areas like even catering and um, caretaking, for example, there, there was quite a lot of turnover in those areas in the early in the early days. It, it was, I don't know if that was difficulty to, to attract the right people or whether we just didn't pay enough attention, uh, attention to that. Um, so those, uh, those probably areas were probably as we didn't, didn't get right. And we also moving very quickly, opening very quickly so I'd say that was there. Luke used to do his own finances on his own, his own spreadsheet, uh, because he couldn't get enough attention from our FD at that uh, at that point, who was more concerned with maintaining the service he'd always always given the other two, uh, the other two schools. And he only had a few hundred thousand, anyway. So you know, an Excel spreadsheet was uh, was enough. Um, <laughs> so we well, we probably should have invested more on that. Things like governance are very easy in a map because it's your trust board that are the the governors so actually yes you can build a local governing body up over over time but you have a governing body from day from day one that's less that's much less of a challenge so i think things are much easier uh, in a map because you've got um you've got all those things in place um but in our case we probably should have scaled them up more quickly luke how did it feel as the as the head where did you wish you'd had maybe more support other than other than finance yeah no i, th I think it's what nick it's what nick said really we, we we probably felt i mean i was very fortunate to open the school with with a, a brilliant deputy in wesley davis who's now ceo of the two counties trust so if people are listening based in nottingham you need to you know look, check check out the two counties trust but um you know we're very you know very fortunate and wesley's like brilliant in operations so it, it probably if i know had wesley then i may well have uh may well have uh, struggled a lot more. Um, and, then, and then after Wesley, I had Jenny Thompson. So I've been very blessed, really, that I've, I've always been able to appoint people better than me. So that's why maybe the school's been, the school's been so successful. But I, it was a struggle in, uh, early on because the way we were as a trust, we hadn't really, you know, we only had three to four schools. You know, we didn't really have the uh, shared services that we've got now. You know, and going to Liverpool now, we've scaled up ahead of growth. We've made sure that, you know, what we've got is fit for purpose. We've still got work to do, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, I oversee IT and believe you me, you know, we've still got some, some work to do in there, in there. But, um, but nevertheless, we're in a much better place than we were. So yeah, that, that I probably, you know, I, I think lots of free school heads would say the same early on. They, they wanted to focus more on teaching and the curriculum and crafting the culture and perhaps weren't able to spend as, were perhaps distracted a lot by doing, you know, a lot of ops and things, you know, me and, me and Wesley would be sweeping the floors, you know, just doing whatever you had to do. So yeah, it, it, it was it was it was incredibly enjoy, enjoyable. We absolutely loved it. It's nothing better than opening a new school. It's just brilliant. But yeah, you you you're, you're kind of doing everything, and and you know things that you know way beyond, um, you know what what you would expect to, to necessarily be doing. 
um, which means you can't focus on the core business all the time. So yeah, so I, I think that was probably what was challenging is, is perhaps if I had had the shared services that we've got now, then I think then obviously it would have been easier, but I wouldn't really change anything. Um, you know, we're absolutely delighted with, with you know, I'm very proud of what we've achieved and feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity. And when he says better than him, he means better than him at things that he doesn't really care about. But I think that is, it's quite important when you start a school not to have too much sort of similarity, not too much, you know, you need a team that's got different um, different skills. I think sometimes people gather people that are a bit too much like, like them. And then you'd be very lined on, on values and mission, obviously, but, um, you know, different personalities and different skill sets early on, I think are particularly important. And where things implode, it's often where people have recruited in too much in their own their own image. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've got just time for one one more question. And I, if it's all right, I'd, I'd like to ask you both to reflect on a sort of a question sort of slightly beyond um, beyond Dixon's. But I've been really struck by um, what you've what you've said this evening about actually th this work is kind of quite simple. It takes it takes a lot of hard work and consistency. Um, but ultimately it's sort of, it's simple if you if you stick to it and have the right values. It, it, in which case, why aren't more schools doing it? What, why is it seemingly quite rare to have the, the sort of emphasis that you place on it or the kind of rigor that you clearly have thought about it with? What, I mean, I'm just, you know, what, what, what's stopping the whole system doing this do people just not want to they don't value it it's they've not learned it what what what's the issue i think luke's already answered that he's very good at repeating himself so i think you should i think you should take that take that up luke i think i think the i think the three things are as we said before leaders pride themselves on intelligence and what we're talking about, I mean, don't get me wrong, there are complex aspects to, 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 to school leadership. We're not, you know, and there's some, you know, there's some really, you know, um, you know there's, 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 there's difficult concepts you have to get your head around. Some of the curriculum work is obviously complex. I'm not trying to dumb the profession down. But in terms of leading culture, you know, the way in which you do that is, is, is for me, is, 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 is relatively simple. It's just, but it's not intellectually sophisticated. So some leaders don't like it for that. Some leaders, a lot of leaders are adrenaline junkies. They want things to happen quickly. This happens, takes a long time. So people give up, think, all right, well, it wasn't working anyway, um, rather than investing the time and efforts into it. And it's, again, it's not really easy to quantify. But I don't know. I just don't think, I think people talk about culture, but don't actually act on it. I just don't, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know what, to me, it just, makes so much sense that you know that that's what you you know that that should be your strategy then unless you get the culture right whatever you do on curriculum or around teaching or any other initiative or strategy it'll always be squandered and it's not that it's not, it's not that curriculum's not important of course it is it's vitally important and we do loads of great work on that it's not that you know of course you want you're trying to help every day people get better at teaching you know all of those things are really important but it's just the point that unless you get the culture right none of those things will work as well as they could have done. The culture is the amplifier for everything else. So I just get that. I don't know why other people don't. And maybe if they, and, and if, and if, and if, and if people did, then it has said that the solution for me is you've got to show people and it's very difficult to show, very difficult to talk about it, as we've said, you know, like, like this, and it's very, it's very, you know, it's very, it's very, even if you go to a visit for a day, you don't really know what happens, you know, day to day. So it's just hard. I think the, the, the solution I've got, as I said, is you've got to kind of, incubate that you've got to show people over a sustained period of time incubate it and then seed that incubated talents into other organizations so um i don't know i, I think that's an interesting question but um i think it's also looking looking for that next big initiative all the time that constant search is a very very dangerous thing and all of those things actually they load the fault in a way on the staff if i get this person in to train the staff to do this this type of teaching or this type of thing, then my school will be fixed. Whereas what Luke's describing is actually senior leadership that takes total responsibility for for the culture in the school that will actually nurture 
nurture the learning and make anything else you try and do actually actually work. So I think it's partly maybe a little bit of offloading as well. So it's that search for the new and that um, offloading responsibility onto others maybe. Because it is boring. I've said, I've said I remember, everyone's realizing how I do repeat myself. It is boring, you know, and you know, and it's and it's really hard. And that's why I think people don't do it. Because you often when I've heard loads of leaders like say, you know, um, try things and it worked really well. And then a few months later they'd give up and they said, Oh, it start, it wasn't starting to work. It was kind of, oh, we found this problem with it. It, it, it I just don't think it worked for our context. You know? And start to make excuses, whereas actually it was working, you just got bored or you realised it was too hard. And so you kind of started to think, oh, we'll change it a bit, we'll tweak it a bit. You, know, you get lethal mutations and before you know it, you're not, it's not, you're not really doing what you are doing before. Anyway, because it's, so I just think it is down to the fact that it's just too hard. Not intellectually, just hard work. That is a sort of, I don't know what, I was about to say that's an inspiring, sobering, I'm not sure what kind of note that is to finish on. It's a very clear one, which is that the, and I think what I'm going to take from this is the the clarity with which you seem to have, have, have pursued your, your mission um, and the way that you'll do it. It just, it comes through really, really strongly um, and actually makes that kind of hard work kind of inspiring. Um, so thank you both very, very much for taking time to share this evening. Um, we will be um, kind of putting this, this recording onto Spotify. Um, please do share it with people who for some strange reason decided that football was maybe sort of what they wanted to, to be involved with this evening. Um, but um, yeah, huge, huge thanks to, 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 to Nick and Luke. Um, and do share the recording round as widely as you can. Um, and thank you to everybody who did join us for doing so. Brilliant, very, very good to see you all. I'm gonna stop recording now.